what we're going to be doing this year. So I'm going to start today's lesson we're going to, uh, on the issue of submission. What do you need to do in order to be used by God? You're, you're a man who has given your heart to God, you're saved, but even as you are saved, you find that you're not being used by God, right? Many of you, so many of you say you want to be involved in ministry, uh, and you, you would like to, to be used in ministry, yet you find yourself not being used effectively in ministry, and you wonder why. And I would say that, in my opinion, the greatest single reason that I have found is that we remain nominal Christians. By that I mean, yes, we're saved. Many of us have been saved for years. Yes, we go to church. Yes, some of us go to Bible study. But we have not committed ourselves in every aspect of our life in submission to Jesus Christ. We have not committed that. We have held back in, in, in so many ways. Uh, and, I, and I often kid when I say that. Some of us are afraid that, well, if I really, really commit myself to God, the next thing I'm going to do is find myself on a boat to Africa. And I'm worried about that, you know, because I don't want to go to Africa. And let me assure you, God will not send you to Africa, all right? Because if he did that, he'd set the work back about 100 years. And so God has no intention to do that. God sees you, and he loves you, and he knows the gifts that he gave you, and it's those gifts that he's going to want to elevate. Uh, and so in order to understand this, uh, we have to be able to submit ourselves to God. Effectively, this winds up being the difference between salvation on day one and discipleship on day two and the rest of your life, all right? You can be saved, but not truly walking the path with God in discipleship. Uh, but you cannot be a disciple of Jesus without being saved. And so we're going to talk about, about that issue. And I told you that, uh, as it relates to me, that the issue of fully submitting to God and Jesus, for me, took about 50 years of my life. Uh, it was only when I finally realized, you know, for, because for me, the issue that was holding me back is that I came out, I, you know, I was saved from being a, a, a very infant. I was in church my whole life. I had devoted myself to a music ministry. I thought that's what God wanted me to do. But I came out of a very uh, religious family. I had a grandfather that founded the church. He was a missionary. I had a father that preached for 55 years. And personally, and I'm sure this is the way it is with a lot of you, I looked at my grandfather and my father, and I would never be my grandfather. I would never be my father. I wasn't a holy man. These guys were holy and righteous. And so when I looked at them, honestly, I never feel worthy to serve Jesus in a greater capacity. And I'm sure this is relating to you as well. And so what happens is that winds up being an anchor in your life because ultimately you have to come to the determination that no one is worthy. No one is righteous. No matter how you look at people and esteem them, nobody is truly worthy or righteous because only one man was perfect in the sight of God, only Jesus Christ. And so when you finally recognize that, we, that all of our, our acts of righteousness are like filthy rags, that no one comes before God as worthy, that we're all being poured over the blood of Jesus Christ through his grace, and that through that God has adopted us into the family of God, then you recognize God sees you as righteous because of Jesus. That's it. 
It's the filtering lens of Jesus Christ that God sees you through. And so once you come to that determination, then you say, all right, God, all right, I'm not worthy, but you still want to use me. And when you say that finally, God will use you. And then then the issue becomes one of praying and listening and opening yourself up. Um, and and I, I cite a verse there in the outline that's a good verse to, to start with, Ephesians 5.17, which says there in point four, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Uh, and boy, that is such a, a key thing. Understand what the Lord's will is in your life. You can just turn to that verse. It's Ephesians 5.17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then it goes on to t- say, what is, how is it that we understand what the Lord's will is? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wow, what a, what a menu for living a godly life. In other words, take the ways that you had been born with, the carnal ways that, that have dragged you down, uh, and elevate yourself in terms of what God wants from you. A, uh, a spirit of thankfulness. A spirit of thankfulness. Do you get up in the morning and just thank God for everything that you have? Oh, God, you're in Naples! Are you kidding me? Look at where we all came out of. We are, this is like being placed in the Garden of Eden, all right? And, and I think what happens is a lot of us, a lot of us take, you know, take this for granted. God planted you here, and I'm going to tell you something else about being here in Naples. Uh, there is a spiritual atmosphere in Naples, all right? This Bible study that God gave me the grace to start would never work in New Jersey. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say, all right, I'd be the same guy, but for some reason, it's because of the Holy Spirit here has recognized that people from all parts of the United States have come to Naples and are now at the second stage of their life and are open to spiritual things, whereas in some of these places that we came from, that's not the case. Well, thank God that he brought you here. Thank God for being here today. Thank God for having friends in your life who are special. Having a spirit of thankfulness, that's part of of doing that. And then the issue of submission, meaning submit yourself to God. Even as as it says here in this verse here, even submit to one another, uh, meaning you know other people have needs. Being careful to listen to those needs in every possible way. Look also, if you would, to Psalm 139, verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And by the way, if any of you wanted to have a Bible verse that related to the issue of the unborn, here's that verse. God saw you. Before he made you, God knew you before you were made, all right? In God's foreknowledge, he saw what you would do with Jesus Christ, all right? 
Uh, and so when we talk about the issue of election, what that really means is that God had the foreknowledge to know exactly what you would do with the things that God gave you. He knew that you would come to Jesus Christ uh, and come to faith. And so what you see here is a recognition that there is a destiny of good on those of us who have come to Jesus Christ. There is a destiny. He called you. Even before you were formed, he called you. Even before you were made, he called you. And so in that, I mean, this is an important thing. This to me really is, it gives me great assurance to let me know that, that as I decide, Lord, I'm going to submit myself to you. Lord, I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will say what you want me to say, to whom you want me to say it. When I read this verse, what does it mean? It means that I am walking within the will of God. It's God's will. That's what you want. You want to have a happy life? All right? Your happy life is not going to depend on your affluence. There's so many affluent people that are profoundly sad. But your happy life will be defined by how you have submitted to God. If you truly submit your life to, to God, I'm going to assure you and guarantee you in every way that you will have the most blessed life possible. Yes, you're going to have dark days. Yes, you're going to have difficult days, but you're going to have the assurance that where you are and what you are doing is within the will of God. And so, as, we, as part of this submission process, uh, we must learn to walk with God. Uh, if you want to know about his plans for you, you have to listen to him. So, how, does, how do you listen to God? Well, you pray. You speak to him. He becomes your best friend. You communicate with him. And how do you do that? Must you be on your, your knees, covered in a prayer shawl uh, for hours in a room? Look, if you can do that, God bless you if you can do that. If that. But for me, I could never do that. My knees would hurt after like five minutes. And then I'm distracted. I'm not really praying. But really what I have found and what I encourage the men that I know is that you speak to God a hundred times a day as you walk in this world. What do I mean by speaking to God? You have a conversation. That's what prayer really is. You're speaking to God. You're thanking him. Uh, and, and when you do this, as you walk, as you drive a car, as you're here right now, you should be speaking with God uh, and, and communicating with him about issues in your life and, and, a, and a spirit of thankfulness. All of this winds up elevating your act of submission. Lord, I love you. Father, help me. Take this issue out of my life. Help this, these warts that I have, Lord. Help me not to be angry. Help me not to be mean. Help me to be more gracious and generous, Lord. Help me to love those people around me. Help me to take my children and to bring my children to the cross. Help me to be a better father. Help me to be a better husband. These are the things that you speak to God a hundred times a day. And I say a hundred times a day, maybe it's a thousand. You should even find yourself speaking to God as you're sleeping. Many is the time that I will be sleeping and, and, and I'll find myself praying while I sleep. My wife says to me, who are you, wait, what, are you, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Who are you talking to? I, I said, no, I'm, I'm okay. I, I, was, I was praying. I was praying. So it becomes a regular part of your life, all right? a regular part of your life. It is that part that connects you with the creator of the universe. 
You know, I, I, my words fail me in explaining to you really how powerful this is when you develop this part of your prayer life. It, it, it transcends everything. And so God, now as you speak to God, God speaks to you. And maybe God doesn't speak to you in an audible voice. Very few people hear God in an audible voice. But he will speak to you in ways in which you can understand what he's doing. And really what that means is you asking God to open the doors that he wants you to go through and to close the doors that he doesn't want you to go through. And that requires a sensitivity and an understanding. And so you pray to God, Lord, I want to serve you. You direct my paths. Well, here's when you when you got a job. Many of us still are working. When you when you get a job, do you pray to God? Is this the job that God wants for you? Do you say, God, is this is this something that you want me to do? Uh, if it is, Lord, open it. If it isn't, close the door. Well, a lot of us, the way a lot of us work is, we look at a closed door as, a, as an opportunity to kick it open with our foot. That's not the will of God. You kicking open a closed door is not you acting within the will of God. But rather, you recognizing that if God has closed the door, he wants you to go someplace else. Even, even to the extent I have found that even to any extent of ministry, I have had to be open to what God wants me to do. That, that certain things that in my mind I thought were the right things to do early on, you know, 18, 20 years ago, as I recognized that I started to have to serve God in a different capacity, I put myself in a position to be with certain organization, and I found that that organization was, was not really welcoming to me. Uh, and I said to myself, I don't understand it. I don't really understand why a Christian organization might not be welcoming to me. Well, it's God's will that you not be part of that organization, that God had some other place for you to be. When you, when you approach this and recognize that this is how God speaks to your heart, then you begin to understand how you're going to conform your life to what God wants you to do. So what is it? It's prayer. It's Bible study. It's worship. It's affiliating yourself and congregating yourself with men, godly men, who can be in your life and, and speak within your life. Uh, and so you see this, um, and, and you understand exactly how God wants us to act. Turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 3. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Acknowledge him, lean on him, give in to him, let him lead you, not you leading him. One of the most stupid bumper stickers I've, I've ever seen is the one that said, God is my co-pilot. God is your co-pilot. I'm not getting on that plane. God should be your pilot. And you should sit in a passenger compartment and keep your mouth shut. Don't say, oh, God is my co-pilot. No, 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 friend. No, you're missing the whole point of understanding where we are as, as true Christian men. We, you know, we're asking God to take over our lives, to direct our lives, to lead us to tell us what to say, where to say it, and how to say it. And Jesus made this perfectly clear. Jesus made this perfectly clear. Uh, and, and so you know that Jesus really articulated to the disciples the fact that Jesus had fully submitted himself to God the Father. He, he had determined that God the Father had sent him to this world to die as the perfect 
sacrifice on the cross. Do you think Jesus could have avoided the cross? Please. Do you think that Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels to take him off the cross to slay those Roman soldiers? Please. Are you, can we know that one angel in the Old Testament slayed 150,000 Assyrians? One angel slayed 150,000 Assyrians in one night. And so please, folks, let's understand exactly what we're dealing with with Jesus. Jesus has fully submitted himself to God the Father, has turned his life over to God the Father, no matter what the sacrifice would be, no matter what the persecution would be, because he knew that was the will of God. And he was going to follow God and do God's will because he would ultimately be the perfect sacrifice once and for all for all humanity. And so turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 16 as we understand this issue of submission. This is, a, this is why I've decided to start this year with this subject. Because everything we're going to do from here on in is going to be a study of seeing how David submitted himself to, to God's will. And I want us to be able to study this. So look in Matthew 16, uh, beginning with verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now remember, all of this had been foretold in Scripture, in the Old Testament. All of this, that, that there would be a period of time in which the Messiah would come, he would be sacrificed. In fact, we know from, from the Psalms uh, that David wrote that there was even a, a prophecy about crucifixion, which had not even been invented at that time. The Psalms being written about the year 900, and crucifixion really being uh, created about the year 250, and yet very clearly speaks about flesh being torn um, and, and you can very clearly see the elements of crucifixion. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, I must go, I'm going to be killed, uh, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be persecuted, I'm going to suffer, and, and then on the third day I'll be raised to life. Now he's speaking to guys who are clueless. You understand? He's been walking with them for, for three years. They've heard this before, and it's going over their head. Now they will get it eventually. They will get it eventually. All of them will be martyred. But even as Jesus is speaking to them, it's like he's speaking to us. Often, we don't get it. We, don't get it. we pray that we, we come to terms with it. Well, verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Oh, Peter, God bless you. You really get me, don't you? You get me. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Let me stop. Don't ever accuse Jesus of going to a Dale Carnegie course. <laughs> One of the things you see about Jesus is as much as everything is love, at the same time, Jesus corrects. Jesus immediately corrects. And what Jesus saw here was that Peter was being used by Satan to derail the will of God. Oh, you're too important. We have great things to do. Look at what we can do here. We can build churches. Oh, my God, and you're, you're a young man. You shouldn't die at the age of 30. Oh, gosh, this is going to be an opportunity. This is a sin, and, and Jesus recognizes that this is the hand of Satan uh, 
putting all these arguments that within our human mind would get traction. Yeah, you know he's got a point. You know he's got a point. Do I really have to go to the cross? Do I really have to do this? And yet Jesus stops it. Get behind me, Satan. Recognizing that when you are submitted to God, you don't fall for this. You don't fall for these obstacles. You don't fall for these distractions. You keep your eye on the cross. That's what you do. Yes, you're going to be tempted. Yes, you're going to have hard days. Yes, you're going to be persecuted. Yes, your stock portfolio may go down in value. All right? Yes, you're going to go to the doctor and you're going to get some bad diagnosis. All right? And yet you keep your eye on the cross. Why? Because God has called you to walk with him and he, you must recognize that within that walk, he's going to use you to advance the gospel of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? All right? You understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is this, that in that submitted mode, that even as you're there in a hospital, even as your body is failing, you are preaching to people who see you and watch you and see what happens when the Holy Spirit elevates someone who, who is dying, and yet someone keeps that vision of the far coast in heaven, and they see the difference of hope in your life. I'm going to tell you that I, the greatest sermons that have permeated my heart are the ones that I've seen from people dying in hospitals. When I walk by the rooms or go into the rooms of our people, saints, who have given their heart to God, and yet even though they're dying, uh, they have committed themselves to God. Boy, that speaks to me like nothing else speaks to me. It's greater than 10,000 sermons. And God recognizes that. This is the power of submission. When we are men of God, walking with God, uh, and here he is, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but things of men. All right? You want to be a man of God. You want to be submitted to God. You got to be in communion with God and communication with God so that you are, you are focused on the things of God. You don't think like a human being thinks. You think the way God would want you to think, which means that you see the big picture and you're elevating yourself to the will of God. Now, look what Jesus said, because this then, these next few verses wind up being the template for what I call the act of submission. Jesus now is explaining what it means to be a disciple. You're saved. I'm speaking to saved men. Jesus was speaking to saved men. But now the question is, as a saved man, what, saved man, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Day one was salvation. Now it's day two. And what are we going to see? What does Jesus expect from us? Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Underline that reward each person according to what he has done. What does this mean? This is a clearly articulated theological position given you by God himself that he will reward you for your discipleship walk with God for the rest of your life. 
how you take up your cross and deny, your, deny yourself and follow him in submission, God will look at that. And when we go to the other side, God, even though you're saved, you're in heaven, God is going to reward you for your acts of submission and service to him. Now, you're saying to me, well, what are the extent of those rewards? The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us what the extent of those rewards are. Uh, I don't think it means getting a bigger mansion near the coastline, okay? All right, don't think like that. Or having better neighbors next to you for eternity. I don't think it's that either. But what I do think it is, in some way, Jesus will be giving you responsibility to govern with him in heaven. There will be a governing process as the new Jerusalem takes place in this world, as God reforms this world, there will be some way of, of governance, and I believe Jesus, who will be in charge of everything, will delegate to you areas of responsibility in, in that realm. That's all I can tell you. I don't know anything else other than that. But I, but I want you to focus, really, on what Jesus is saying here about taking up the cross and following him. And, and honestly, uh, I believe that this is a misunderstood uh, comment, that people are thinking about taking up the cross, and they look back at Jesus and say, well, does that mean I'm going to die for Jesus? No, you're not going to physically die, but you're going to die to yourself. All those things that you may have wanted to do yourself are going to be put back underneath the things that God wants you to do. And what do I mean by that? It means this, that God may give you an area of responsibility in a church, quite possibly. And that means that maybe now you don't go play golf on Sunday. Oh, I really like golf. But you know, that's the point. God wants you to submit to his will. You do that. Or maybe God says, I want you to go to the prisons and do, do a prison ministry. And you'll say, well, that's kind of inconvenient. It's interfering with things I want to do in my life. Are you taking up your cross? Are you worried about yourself? Are you doing things that fill, you, fill, fill your own mind? Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're a saved man, and listen well to what I'm saying, if you're a saved man and you've and, and given God your life, then if these things are a distraction to you, I'm going to say something you may not want to hear. Maybe God needs to take those distractions away from us. Did you ever stop to think that maybe God doesn't want you to be rich? My father used to say to me, well, my father was always really just barely getting by. My father would say to me, and here's a guy that spent 55 years in the pulpit, preached his last sermon from a wheelchair nine days before the Lord called him home. My father said to me, I recognized in my life that if I was a wealthy man, I wouldn't serve God. Now, when a guy like that, who has given his life to Jesus, says that, that tells me that there is an allure of affluence that God is aware. So maybe, just maybe, God has recognized where you are, and from God, that gift uh, of not being so wealthy, of not being surrounded by affluence, might just very well be his gift to you, to encourage you to submit. Did you ever think that way? Did you ever think that way? You ever get up now and say, Lord, I thank you for making me poor? But rather the prayer is, Lord, I thank you for keeping me within your will. I thank you for keeping me within your will. 
My prayer always is this, to God, God, help me to say the things you want me to say and to keep my mouth shut on the things you don't want me to say. I have an awesome responsibility when I come up here, and the Bible is very clear. The Bible teachers are going to be graded on a more severe curve. The Bible is clear about that. What does that mean? It means that when I get there, Jesus is going to put the film of my life up, and probably a good chunk of it is going to be stuff that I taught. And I'm going to be responsible for what I said. And I'm going to be responsible for what I didn't say. All right? So there is an, uh, an area of responsibility. This is what I'm trying to convey to you. On day two of the rest of your life. Yes, you're saved. But this is day two of the rest of your life. Uh, and so Jesus is telling his disciples that in his act of submission, in following God, in giving God his all, that he must suffer and be persecuted. That's what God has determined. Uh, and so you see this. It is a condition of discipleship. It is committing ourselves to God, recognizing that God wants this from us, taking up the cross. Uh, and so this is important to understand. And you see this requirement. And as Jesus does this, it requires also denying oneself denying oneself. What does that mean? It means that your life shouldn't be about giving in to every single whim of this world. Oh, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. Instead, the question is, what does God want from you? Do you say that? Or are you just interested in, in elevating yourself, getting the most, going for the most juice? Let me clue you in, folks. The guy who wins at the end is not the guy with the most toys. All right? All right? In fact, you know what? It's a, good, it's a good prayer to say to God, Lord, take these desires out of my heart. Take these desires out of my heart. Help me to focus on the really critical things that you want from me. Uh, and so when you see this understanding of taking up the cross... What does Jesus mean, taking up the cross? How does that relate to us today? You're not taking up a physical cross. What does it mean? What does God want from us as disciples to take up the cross? What it means is to say yes to things for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's what taking up the cross is. That means that you get an impression. This is how these things work. You get an impression. You need to call somebody. Somebody's hurting and in prayer. Oh, I'm not good at calling. Yes, God is telling you, pick up the phone and call them and tell them that you care about them, that you're praying for them. Maybe you should pray on the phone for somebody. That's taking up the cross. Maybe you need to go to the hospital and visit people who are sick and dying. Maybe that's taking up the cross. In other words, don't tell me oh, I would rather do something else. I'd rather go golfing. I'd rather go fishing. I'd rather go boating. Hey, we all want to do those things, but here's the thing. I want to serve God first. Can I get an amen? amen? You understand what I'm saying? I want to serve God first. And when I serve God first, then there will be a time for all these things. And then I will know that I am walking with God. Who wants to be doing these things if I'm not walking with God? And so the only assurance that you are walking with God as you communicate with God is that you're taking up the cross, following him, denying yourself. So what does that mean? It means that taking up the cross involves prayer. It involves Bible study. It involves feeding the hungry. It means giving drink to the thirsty, receiving strangers, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, visiting prisoners, witnessing. You got that? All of that is taking up the cross of Christ. All of that. All of that. 
Uh, and this is what we need to do if we're going to be true disciples. Uh, and it appears in the context that Jesus is saying it, that Jesus is expecting the disciples to suffer, suffer hardships in order to do his will. What does it mean? It means that as we walk with God, the road is not going to be easy. It's going to rain on the just and the unjust. There's going to be dark days. There's going to be sickness. There are, there are people that are going to repudiate you. Maybe even your own family. Maybe even your own family. But God has called you to a greater service. God has called you to walk with him. You're here today because you recognize this. You're here today because you've committed yourself to following him. You're here today because you're submitting to him. And so for, for, for God, for Jesus, as he's speaking to these disciples and telling him, I'm going to die a horrific death, and no one is going to stop me because I'm going to do God's will. And you also are going to suffer for my sake but I want you to take up that cross, deny yourself and follow me. And what is he saying? He's saying that to you today. And he's telling you and promising you that as we do that, he's going to grade that conduct. Now, we do this not for the rewards. Let me make that clear. We don't keep a scorecard. Oh, wow. Whew. Went to the prisons four times this week. That's good. That's 10, 10 marks, 10 points. I got three conversions. I spoke to Peter three. No, 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 no. Don't go doing that. You understand? Don't go doing that. Because what are you doing? You're elevating yourself again. Oh, yeah, we love the works. You know, we love, we can't get it through our heads that we've been saved by grace alone. Right? That's the biggest thing. Oh, I got I to gotta work my way. Got to work. Well, you're not working your way anyplace. You've been saved totally by the grace and blood of Jesus Christ. Day one, but day two is your discipleship, and it requires a willful act on your part to conform yourself to the mind of God, to submit yourself to the mind of God. Look, this is a hard sermon. It's hard for me to preach it. It's harder for you to hear it, okay? We don't like to be told that there are certain areas in our life that willfully need to be changed, but God is speaking to you today about this. He wants to elevate you. He wants to use you. You want to be used by God? You're going to wind up being a more powerful voice in your family when they look at you and respect you. Your children will, will see you and respect you. may not come on day one or day two or day three, but down the line it will come. And so you see this. And so the sinner's willfulness to suffer is not a condition of justification. What do I mean by that? You are justified by God totally by the blood of Jesus Christ. All those things that happen on day two and thereafter in terms of the suffering and the persecution have nothing to do with the justification of you as a sinner. You're saved forever. Your God holds you in the palm of his hand. But now your willingness to be a disciple and walk with God and be used by God is the act of sanctification. And that's the rest of your life getting up every day and say, Lord, conform me to your will. Make me more, more like you. Uh, and so when you see when Jesus said, follow me, he's speaking to guys that are saved. But even as he speaks to guys that are saved, there's a secondary act now. It's not day one, 
it's day two. And day two now requires an active, willful, submissive spirit. Follow me. Walk with me. Obey me. Pray to me. Listen to me. Worship with me. Uh, and, and so you understand this, and you see where God is going. And then uh, Jesus is going to speak forcefully about the issue of losing your life. Losing your life. What does Jesus mean by that? Look at Luke chapter 9, quickly. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, and this is Jesus, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Now, let me, under, let me explain to you what that's about. That's not about salvation, all right? Jesus is speaking to people that are saved. But what Jesus is saying is as a saved man, you now have a life to give to God the rest of your life. And so if you decide that you're not going to be following Jesus, you're still going to revert to some of those carnal ways, even though you're saved, and we know plenty of Christians that fall into this category. Unfortunately, many of us have been there ourselves, being nominal Christians. If you follow that, you think you're going to keep your own life and save the kind of life that you're going to have? Let me, let me make it very clear to you. Your life in this world will never be happy. It'll never be happy. You have not reached your destiny. God has destined you to serve him in a great way. And so if you think, I'm going to stay away from that, I don't really want to give that all in. I don't want to put those chips to the center of the table. I'm going to stay back outside because I know I'm saved. I don't have to do that. Then Jesus is telling you that life, that precious life that you think you've saved, you have not saved. Why? Because the richest part of your life is the spiritual destiny that God has called you that's the richest part of your life. Meaning what? Meaning when you fulfill your spiritual destiny. Oh, my Lord. You're walking as a godly man. You're fulfilling your spiritual destiny. There is a happiness and peace that pervades every aspect of your life. Your wife will look at you in a way she's never looked at you before. And your children will feel the same way. Because you're walking in the grace and light of Jesus Christ. The peace of Jesus will pervade you. That is the fullness of that life. That's why when Jesus said, you will lose your life if you're trying to save it, but if you give your life up for me, then you will have the richest life. That's the promise of God, the promise of Jesus. And so that's what I'm trying to, to really underline today to you. We need to commit ourselves today in a way that we've never committed ourselves as much. Let's give ourselves this year to say, Lord, I'm all in. Lord, I want to learn. I want to study from the David. I want to be committed, Father. I want to be your man in every way. I want to be your man. And help me to grow, Lord, and take these tendencies away from me. Help me to, to treasure the gifts that you've given. And we're going to talk more about this next week as we continue this study. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us, Father. I thank you, Father, that you've, you've saved us and now put us on a road in which we can be disciples. Lord, help us each day to go stronger as disciples, to serve you, to submit you, Father, in every way, because we want to be your representatives in this world. Thank you, Father, for bringing these men out. Protect them this week and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word next week. 
We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.